0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DW. Void work prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: Hey, this is Zach Efron, and you're listening to the Stupid Cancer Show.
0: I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer.
1: Cancer? Yes. In the head.
2: Huh? I as bad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore! Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Are you telling me you built a time machine out of a
3: DeLorean? This is you stupid...
2: sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late.
4: And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer
2: Show, Annie Goodman and Matthew Zach. Woohoo! is
5: Nothing
2: is anything wrong with that. Here's a lot of chip spots.
5: <laughs> All right. Monday, February 18th, and welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show. The Voice of Young Adult Cancer. My name is Matthew Zachary. I'm a 17 year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer.
6: And my name is Annie Goodman, journalist and young adult breast cancer survivor, and we're your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show.
5: It is not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world, one chemo infusion at a time.
6: Join us tonight as we profile C4YW, the conference for young women affected by cancer, produced by Living Beyond Breast Cancer and Young Survival Coalition. Stacey Lewis with YSC and Elise Kaplan with Living Beyond Breast Cancer will be our guests. Also, Jeff Tomchak, founder of c 2 bc is in the Survivor Spotlight. The
3: Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, a nonprofit organization that empowers young adults affected by cancer. Online at stupidcancer.org.
5: And a Stupid Cancer, welcome to any and all of our first-time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network and on iTunes as we come to you live from the Decker fabulous studio in downtown New York City. Hello. Hi. Hello. We seem to have some audio issues.
3: Yes, it's all good though. I don't Sounds know. what better now. Hey, I don't know what happened. It, it seemed to be redlining in the, uh, the intro. We
5: did switch uh, computers over the weekend. We did? Yes. You went from the old school tower, a, a Mac tower from like 2005, to the
3: MacBook Pro from
5: 2010.
3: The pre retina, super, pre, pre, pre retina. Okay. But post. Whatever that
5: old thing was that you had when I first met Post, you. Post like the plastic white clamshell. Yes. iBook. Yes. Right, exactly. So how are you? Hi, ketty
3: <laughs> <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. Happy
5: post-Valentine's Day. Hello, Annie.
3: Hi, Matthew. Matty
5: Beckett. Hey, everyone. In the house. Your mic's off. It's okay. We don't want to hear from you. <laughs> it's on now.
6: <laughs> hey, everyone.
3: There you oh, go. There you
5: go. All right, good. Good. Okay. So what's going on, Matthew? Happy Valentine's Day. I understand you have a girlfriend. Well, she's in attendance this evening. That's right. from
3: the couch. She, oh, she's... Where is she? Oh,
5: she? I missed her. Couldn't see her. She's behind the the, the shoji screen. Yes. Lauren McCann, everybody.
6: Hello. And
5: Lauren gets her own applause. <laughs> Lauren is the fabulous daughter of the fabulous Sharon Franz, who is the founder of the National Coalition of Oncology Nurse Navigators, and, uh, which is one of our amazing national partner organizations. So, Annie, how was your Valentine's Day?
6: I wore till 10 o'clock at night, so it was awesome.
5: That's the best kind of Valentine's Day you could possibly have.
6: Especially when you are boyfriend-less.
5: Yes. Well, I, there was a post I put up on Facebook today, which I meant to put up last week, uh, called Dear Valentine's Day from mm-hmm. a Young Adult Survivor. Right. That's part of their Generation Y, W-H-Y. Yep. And it was very poignant, very poignant. You know, I, I remember back in the day, in 1996, seven, eight, when I was single and what that meant. And now you have three valentines by default.
2: Huh. Yes,
5: yes, I do. There's nothing I can do about it. No. Yeah.
3: No, you were required from this point forward when they start reading to not only buy, well, when Jess starts reading as well, I guess, Right. to buy Jess, Toby, <laughs> and Hannah
5: valentines.
3: Cookie! Yeah. Cookie! Mo
5: more, more. They're starting to say, I want, instead of, can I please have. Good. So we're, we're engendering self-correction. Good luck to you.
6: Godspeed.
5: It's not not good stuff. I know. Yeah. Anyway, so we uh oh we finally got the dates. Uh, April one two three four five six seven. I can count in order. Is uh National Young Adult Cancer Awareness Week. Awesome. Yes. It's official. It is coming back. I don't know what year it is. It's like the twelfth or thirteenth mm-hmm. year it exists, and it's going to be there. And it's all good stuff. And Very I, have, cool. I have amazing news tonight. Uh, I I can't really find my drumroll anywhere. I used to have a drum roll here on the sound cue. Oh, here it is. Evan Handler, the actor, thespian, and long-term alumni of Young Adult Cancer, will be the closing keynote speaker at the OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults April 25th, 6th, 7th, 8th, on the Sunday afternoon, 28th of April. We are very excited to have him be there. We'll be promoting it uh, up the wazoo for the rest of the week, and in perpetuity... Hopefully he'll be able to come on the show between now and and April to promote his coming to Las Vegas.
6: I'm super pumped. Fabulous. Evan
5: Handler, you may know, uh, was in Sex and the City. Indeed. He was Charlotte's
6: husband, second husband, divorce attorney, and then she fell in love and married him.
5: Right. And then he is now uh, starring against David Duchovny on the Showtime series Californication, which was just renewed for yet another season.
6: I don't have Showtime, but I've heard it's awesome. I will have to... Get on Netflix.
5: It's an eclectic show. That's what I've heard. It's a very eclectic, but I like it. It's the it's very well acted. It's it, The characters are... It's great. It's really great.
6: Yeah, it's a very... Everyone I know who watches it loves it. So I've heard great things. I will get on the Netflix and get caught up. It's, uh, we're thrilled. He's been on the show
5: three times since we launched in mm-hmm. 2007, and he has not come to an OMG Summit yet. He will be our closing keynote, and we are absolutely thrilled. To uh to have him on,
6: in he'll videos. be he'll be very good. Big draw for all the for everybody, especially the ladies. The ladies, have, it'll be a big who are draw. Big Sex and City fans.
5: Speaking of the ladies, Kenny, I just looked at our metrics and we are skewing like eighty percent female on Facebook. It's pretty funny. Eighty percent female
6: on what? Just
5: the on our wall. Considering how many times we write douchebag. Right. It's uh we're a very male-heavy brand, and yet we skew eighty percent on it's the a
3: reverse
5: psychology. Is it? They they like
3: the bad boy. Little do they know that the people behind the curtain could not be less
5: bad boy like. (laughs) We're good boys.
3: So uh, is that
6: why I haven't met a man yet through stupid cancer? (laughs) That explains it. It's all women. There are very few of them. It is all women.
5: It's it's Kenny, me, uh, Matt, and Scott Slater. That's about it. Yes. I know all of you. There you go.
0: We're
5: done. And you you're still questionable. We're uh, I am. Yeah. Yes. On what? Well, I'm n- nothing uh, on the. Uh, you want to
3: say something? Say something. No, uh, I'm not saying anything.
5: Oh dear, that deserves one of these. Kenny, that was the day of your delivery.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's. uh... Oh boy. <laughs> so uh, yes, in other news, I'm I'm craving a whopper. Oh yeah, I heard that Burger King. Got hacked. Twitter got Twitter. hacked by anon. Oh,
6: it was anon. They uh, took.
3: Yeah, I don't. I think a lot of times people just blame anon. It it's kind of like when a, an act of terrorism happens and you just like blame the same group. Uh, oh,
6: look. We okay. So I'm on Burger King's um, Twitter feed and it's protected now.
3: Yeah, it was like different a half hour. Yeah, ago.
6: and it has an egg for the photo, and I can't see any of its tweets. It's a mess. Yeah, it was bad. It was like, we were bought by McDonald's today because the Whopper sucks. <laughs> I was like, whoa. I t- I remember I was at work, and I tweeted that it, it appears Burger King's social media manager has a day off. Yikes. And that was seven <laughs> hours ago. But, yeah, it was uh, interesting. There was some not-so-good... M- comments on there and definitely that we were bought by mcdonald's the whopper sucks they were responding like retweeting all the messages about all the people saying ha 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 about how they were hacked and it was weird yeah but yeah there was some like racial stuff there and i was like oh this is not good long live the internet whoever whoever works at Burger king needs to get on that asap
3: yeah change the password from uh Penis oh, word. someone <laughs> someone
6: did tweet Whopper one, two, three with a really bad password. <laughs> <laughs> that was a Okay, that was my favorite tweet. Yeah. Kesha
5: would have made a better password
6: choice.
2: Yeah, Kesha, seriously. Right, with your
5: dollar signs yes. in the middle of your word there. Yes, fantastic. I'm glad you picked up that reference, Matt. I actually know Kesha. Yeah. Do you? Unlike, I don't know a single song she sings, but I know the name. You saw her in the grocery store. What? Yes.
6: <laughs> Even though you don't know Mumford and Sons.
5: I know Miss the amazing Mumford.
6: <laughs> I know. Yeah,
5: <we> <laughs> I still <laughs> think it's funny. You don't know Mumford and Sons. What is what is what does Mumford and Sons sing that I might know? Uh. uh that song,
3: something. Yeah. Um, they that w-
5: something song. They okay. put
3: out a uh, Abbey Road, Street Court, Lane. I don't know if does, you've ever heard that one.
6: Just download the ad, the um, album Babel. I think. How did Adele uh, say, say it? it? Babel.
3: I think it is Babel.
6: Yeah, I think the official way to say it is Babel. I would say
3: Ghost of. It's the, very the like. Album.
6: It's very, you know, hipster-ish. I don't know. Also oh, so right it's up my alley. Man, yeah, Matt's, Matt's pretty
3: hip. Drink, With my Huey losing the news, you drink PBR and you listen to vinyl.
6: I oh, mean, it, no, PBR? It's not, well,
3: smoking American spirits. It's
6: it's more mainstream than that, but it's so not hip right now. Yeah, they're more mainstream than that, but I don't know. I think you'd like them. It's pretty. I don't know. The eyeball pre- weight is like their big song. I, like I enjoy them. Well,
3: we'll, we'll school you, Matt. Okay. On your next six-hour flight, you'll listen to the entire discography of Mumford & Sons. Yeah, they'll,
6: and come, they'll, out, and they'll come, come out playing They'll come up with a
5: full head of hair. Yes.
6: <laughs> I'm afraid I'm afraid. Of
5: All right, well, Jeff's called in, so let's get to our first Survivor Spotlight here. Very excited.
6: Jeff Tomchak is a consumer insight strategist, entrepreneur, and writer born in Wisconsin and now living in Manhattan. He is an acute lymphoblastic leukemia survivor. Welcome, Jeff.
1: Hello, yes.
5: how are all of
1: you? Hello,
5: hello. We're thrilled to have you, my friend.
1: It's great to be on. How's everyone tonight?
5: We are doing well. Where are you calling in from?
1: Uh, right in Manhattan in the heart of uh good old midtown east.
5: Okay, <laughs> so we won't guilt you for not be- being here.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I certainly could have could have made it, but uh, it's a bit of a venture down, so and it's freezing out tonight.
5: Well, that's okay. We would have we would have shipped you a dog to wear.
6: <laughs> <laughs> I, wear, I wear so many coats when the weather's like this, I can barely bend my elbows. You
5: said I put on Facebook it was 16 last night in Brighton Beach, 16 degrees. It
6: was 1 degree out this morning when I was going to work. 1 degree? Yeah, 1, with the windshield,
5: with the windshield. Speaking shelf. of which, we we had Super Cancer Alaska. I forgot to remember. Sorry, Jeff. We had our Super Cancer Alaska meetup, Kenny, this weekend, right? Yes,
1: I have to okay. the, uh, the follow-up All right, we got the
5: follow-up on that for next week. So anyway, Jeff, thank you for joining us.
1: Not a problem. Happy to be on.
5: Now, if I'm not correct, we met through Suleika?
1: Um, I, I suppose she facilitated the introduction, yeah. I was uh, I was at the Young Cancer Summit that you did here in New York City. Oh, God, when was that last?
5: That was in September, September yes.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I came to that, and that was actually my big uh, foray into interacting with other young adult cancer patients. So... Um, yeah, I got a chance to, to meet you, and I had met Suleika uh, probably a month prior. So,
5: So we'd love to hear your story. Uh, ALL, uh, by the way, is a non sequitur. The very first time that I heard that someone had ALL and I read it as all, I was like, you <laughs> have all
1: cancers? <laughs> that would be devastating. Uh, <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I, I hope I don't have all cancers, but the one I had was probably. I would say, if you're gonna get it it's it's one that you can handle in a in a way that uh I think the the outcomes typically are better than most so i've I've had a fun run with it, but I'm past it and uh it's uh hopefully never coming back so
5: well all right, so tell us about your life before cancer. you were up at the atom you were doing your thing living your life what- what was that like
1: oh I had the uh audacity to move from the midwest to new york city because uh... no one has ever done that before Um, (laughs) about four four years ago five almost five years ago now and um, a few years in decided to stop pursuing the regular career path and uh... ended up starting my own business at the end of two thousand ten going into two thousand eleven so i was fresh into doing some consulting work of my own and focusing on being an entrepreneur um, and then uh, sort of had the, the usual, you know, body breaking down, not feeling quite like myself. Um, I was, at the time, 27, so I was in, you know, pretty good health, worked out quite a bit, athlete all my life, and ignored it and ignored it and ignored it. And uh, eventually what triggered me to finally go into the hospital was uh that aching pain in my side, which happened to be uh, my my liver shutting down, so it was processing so many cancer cells, and um, so I went in thinking, yeah. Literally the day I went in, I was uh, I had uh, an intern at the time. I, I took a lunch meeting. I went and met my intern to uh, scout a venue for a potential event that we were going to run for a client of mine, and you know, casually on a beautiful Friday afternoon in June. Thought I would walk into the emergency room at Bellevue Hospital here in New York City and, uh, you know, get a prescription for something stupid and, and walk out completely fine. And obviously that didn't happen because the nurse looked at me and said, You look like complete shit. And, uh, <laughs> yep. you know, from there I was, uh, I didn't leave that hospital for something like 38 nights or, or whatever yeah. it was. Um, So it was one of those, you know, hit by a train. Obviously, came out of nowhere. No prior health issues. Had uh, zero, zero uh, inclination that that's what it would be. But um, that was, yeah, that was it. And then from there, I uh, ended up transferring over to Memorial Sloan Kettering here in the city, uh, where I've been cared for ever since. And I had a stem cell transplant in uh, November of 2011. And that obviously did the trick because I've been in remission ever since.
6: That's great. When you were diagnosed, when you went to the hospital, a lot of young adults, what we hear repeatedly, is that the last thing they think it's going to be is cancer. When you checked in the hospital, what they kind of tell you that then you know you said that they said you look like shit, which is never a good thing <laughs> that you want to hear. But did that was was that one of the first things they thought it could be that they. they
1: did not at all actually initially i i was misled you know misled several times I, there was, I, it was obviously severe anemia based on my hemoglobin levels mm-hmm. which were astronomically low um they were shocked that i hadn't had a heart attack or a stroke by the time i walked in because my hemoglobin was so low um but they you know said it could be anything from you know as simple as mono and then all the way up to the extreme condition being leukemia but um, it was never suspected that that 's actually what it was, and as they ran every test, you know they got closer and closer to the point where they had to do a bone marrow biopsy in order to determine what it was and as soon as the uh the doctor did the biopsy i mean he he went in and traditionally, when you do a bone marrow tap you 'll probably know this they would um you know they would have fluid or you know some fluid in between the marrow and and the uh the edge of the bone and he came in and the, the cells were packed so tight with cancer cells that there was just literally no fluid and he knew on the spot without even having to send it to a lab that that's what i that, you know that i had leukemia so um so that's pretty much what i found out but it was never yeah i mean my mentality going into it was certainly not that i had cancer Um, no one really suspected that i had an eerie feeling though And my family lives my parents live in wisconsin and uh... I called them when I was in the emergency room that night and said, you know, I have a weird feeling about this. You might want to fly out here. And uh, and so they did, but I wasn't diagnosed for another three or four days from there.
5: So I want to talk about your stem cell transplant then. Um, how did you find – those are your own stem cells, right?
1: Uh, my brother, actually, the was the donor. Yeah, so he was uh, – a ten of ten perfect match, uh, which is a miracle in, in itself. Obviously. Was
5: he the first person they looked at?
1: He was. Yes, I have, I, you know, I have one sibling, and the, you know, they say for for a match, it's uh, out of every sibling that you have, you have a twenty five percent chance to match. So the more siblings you have, the better. Um, and you know, I have one brother, and uh, it, we just were fortunate enough that he was a match.
5: That's amazing. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Did you yeah. find that when you transferred to Sloan, you were treated? differently? Did they discuss, you know, uh, know, or he's laughing already. All right, go on, you talk.
1: Uh, uh, My my experience between Bellevue and Sloan is night and day. I mean, it's the difference between a public hospital and a private and, you know, the care I had at Bellevue. There were times where it was what it needed to be, but actually before I even started treatment at Bellevue, I contacted a really extremely renowned doctor uh dr Marty tallman who um is one of the leading you know cancer uh, oncologists when it comes to treating a l l specifically and he actually designed the protocol for my treatment, and so I had reached out to him and he basically told me to stay put because I was already at Bellevue, and the risk of moving me wasn't worth bringing me over. Um, And so they kept me there for my first round of treatment, but I knew all along I was transferring to Sloan-Kettering. I wanted the best care I could possibly have. And um, at Bellevue, there was just a series of, it was like the Confederacy of Dunces, (laughs) a series of pretty dramatic errors uh, that happened, uh, you know, infiltrating my, my tissue in my arm with chemotherapy to the point where I had a chemical burn, um, they underdiagnosed my or they, I'm sorry, they underweighed me at one point, and they were supposed to be tracking my weight the entire time, and they weren't weighing me. Turns out that they had written down my weight as 60 pounds lighter than I actually weigh, and so they were underdosing wait, wait, my 60 chemotherapy. Pounds? That's like the, stopping
5: over your limbs, 60 mm-hmm. pounds lighter?
1: 60 pounds lighter. I mean, it's. I I weighed, I weighed 170 pounds at the time, and uh, I'm just under six feet tall. So I weighed 170 pounds at the time, and they wrote me down for roughly uh, I don't want to say it was 100 and just under 120 pounds is what they recorded my weight as.
6: And no nurse not- noted that because 110 pounds on a grown man, six six feet, about yeah. six feet tall, is pretty tiny i mean i'm five foot six and i weigh a lot more than 110 pounds and i'm not big
2: so <laughs> I mean, I yeah. Mean, it's,
1: yeah it's incredible that nobody caught there i mean it, it was to the point where we had you know a uh, very long discussion with the director of the hospital about what what they were going to do and what we were going to do it, it came to a head where you know my family certainly could have pursued a lawsuit and didn't because at that point anyone, you know, it's just not the nature of my family to begin with, but it, you know, at that point I was transferring out of Bellevue, getting into the right care, and I was, you know, luckily I entered remission and it wasn't an issue, um, you know, hadn't I entered remission, maybe it would have been something bigger and people would have been more outraged, but uh, we were just all happy that obviously my health was recovering, so it wasn't worth that battle, But um, but yeah, it was... A scary experience to not only be going through, obviously, the medical side of it, but then to deal with the rest of it. Right. You know.
5: And then you took to the Internet. Um, I remember you wrote a piece uh, for Huffington Post that really caught my eye, and a bunch of people, like, sent it to my desk and said, you got to read this. Like, I know that guy. So that's when I reached out. Uh, and you wrote a piece that was called Things I Wish I Knew, and it resonated so well, got such a huge response. But in retrospect, are you glad you wrote it?
1: i'm obviously I'm extremely glad I wrote it um you know selfishly I wrote it as a just a therapeutic outlet to finally i've I've been a writer my whole life i've always you know secondary career it's always been pursuing writing and um you know it's one of those things where throughout my cancer experience, I just did not feel like writing and um it took me such a long time to want to articulate anything having to do with with what I had been through um uh, and then one random day during that period of quarantine when your immune system is you know non-existent and you're stuck in your apartment and you have nothing to do besides stare at the same wall you've been staring at for the last three months I had this urge to just get it all off my chest and let it go and so it ended up being verbal vomit on a piece of uh, mm-hmm. paper that turned into a blog post that I you know um so it actually ended up going through uh uh Suleika her uh boyfriend Seamus, that I'm sure you've met is uh... editor at the Huffington Post. Yep. And uh he had gotten wind of it and contacted me and said, you know would you like to share this with more people?" And I said, "You know what? I, I didn't write it for more people, it wasn't the intention, but sure why not?" And uh the response was just incredible. It was not expected. It's been really overwhelming even still to this day for people to be contacting me from all over the world, you know, saying thank you and and asking if they can publish it in different languages. And it's just not something that you expect to happen um, because it was such a personal piece for me. But I think because I wrote it so personally, that's probably why it did resonate.
6: Yeah, definitely. And one of the other issues you have that definitely resonates with the young adults is you did not have health insurance. When you were diagnosed, I I have, I know a lot of people this has happened to. So when you're going for all these tests, I can't even imagine what you were thinking. I have insurance and every time I had something done, all I kept hearing was like, ka-ching, ka-ching in my Mm -hmm. ear of like all the bills. And then the bills are coming in and I wanted to throw up, not just from the chemotherapy. So tell me a little bit about your experience as a young adult. Not having insurance and then having to deal with that stress just on top of yeah. being sick <laughs> uh,
1: another fun part of the picture for sure. Um, the uh, yeah, I mean the insurance thing was as I had stated earlier. I had started a, a business uh, just a few months prior, and so I was in that mindset of here I am healthy, you know, no no reason why I should be paying the outrageous rates of, of you know men, New York uh, medical insurance, particularly for insurance that. At a high price point would potentially not even cover me for something dramatic anyway, so I had that mentality of you know until my business gets going i 'm making the right kind of money um, I you know 'll pay out of pocket for whatever I need and uh you know the logic works up until something smacks you in the face and which i you know in my case it did and It turns out, in the long run, it was probably the best thing that could have happened to me um, because I think I would have exhausted uh, any plan that I would have had. And I ended up qualifying for a unique form of Medicaid uh, called Working Persons with Disabilities Insurance, which means that you actively are working and self-employed throughout your treatment. And so all I had to prove was that I had, you know, some revenue coming in throughout the entire time that I was being treated. And that happens to be one of the only forms of of Medicaid that Memorial Sloan Kettering accepts. Um, And so they ended up taking me in as a patient on the grounds of the fact that I qualified for that insurance. Um, So it still covers me to this day through through the, I believe, November, because it's like two years post-transplant that they'll cover you. Uh, and then I'll transfer on to my own plan. But uh, it, it really was a strange kind of blessing in disguise the way it all worked out. Uh, but when I, obviously for the first month when I was navigating all those insurance issues, it was, it was complete hell and scary and another part of the extra added weight of having a disease. So uh, there was a gentleman that was assigned to me at uh, Bellevue. His name's uh, Brian Cohen, and he works with the New York uh, Legal Attorneys Group which is a non-profit organization that provides uh, attorneys for for patients as patient advocates. And he's the one that helped introduce that insurance to me and helped me get, you know, end up actually obtaining it. And to this day is a good friend of mine just on account of the fact that he's solved so many mysteries for for me uh, when it comes to, to insurance specifically.
5: Well, we have uh, about a minute left. I just wanted you to talk about the c to b scene we were uh, pr- promoting in the in the lead-ups. looks very interesting how you're channeling yourself, and it sounds like uh, you were able to get some of your clients through your own skills in fundraising and development.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, been- so my business, um, which I, I kind of do on the side now, I actually just took a, a full-time position with a company based in, in England, but I'm still uh, doing my business on the side as well. So uh, the whole business model is really helping entrepreneurs brand themselves and, and prepare for entry to marketplace uh, when they're first getting off the ground. And so I had uh, I had used a website online to raise some funds for a friend who had cancer uh, before I was diagnosed. and ended up using my marketing skill set and knowledge of social media to, to raise a considerable amount of money f- for him through this website um, which is called RaiseItNow.com. Uh, dot com and long story short of it uh... they were so impressed by how effective the campaign was because it was their most successful one ever on the site that they ended up contacting me and asking me if i would uh... help them you know market themselves and and better position themselves so it was, uh, yeah, it was just one of those strange, strange coincidences where the uh, my skill set happened to tie into what I was doing to help a friend. So.
5: Well, that's really awesome. You are indeed a success story. You are coming up on your two-year cancer-versary, uh this fall, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yep.
5: Exactly. Well, every day brighter and bigger. Good stuff.
6: Yep, indeed.
5: Thank all you right. so. And, all right, we're going to make you come to the office even for no reason now.
1: Not, a, not a problem. I'll, uh, I'll do my best to show face next time.
5: All right, Jeff do it, uh,
1: try to do it in a month that isn't this cold. Okay,
5: <laughs> I'll do our best. Jeff Thompson, thank you so much. Take thank care of you. yourself. Pleasure, thanks. All right, let's uh, let's hit the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, mammy. righty. what's up, Kenny?
3: Alright, head on over to events.stupidcancer.org Your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide Something will be happening in your neck of the woods And we certainly don't want you missing out It's kind of light right now, Matt we got a north side hospital, which is right outside Atlanta An oncology and intimacy workshop Happening Wednesday from 12 to 1 We, as always, have the We Spark Young Adult Group in LA Happening on Thursday night And I will be attending C4YW in Seattle, this weekend. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. Okay.
5: It's here. Time to register for the 6th Annual OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults, April 25, 6, 7, 8, at the Palms Casino in Las Vegas. That's April 25th through 28th, four days of awesome at one of the largest gatherings of its kind in the world. Visit omg2013.org and learn more about the Players Club, which is an exciting way to earn travel reimbursement through fundraising. Once more, that's omg 2013 .org.
3: Matthew, I don't know if you've been in the Stupid Cancer Store lately. It's stupidcancerstore.org, it. but we have a lot of awesome Stupid
5: Cancer merchandise. Wear
3: Stupid Cancer, be proud, look awesome. And do
5: not forget about the Stupid Cancer Forums, which have almost 5,000 members now. This is the premier online community to connect with survivors, patients, parents, and caregivers just like you. Visit stupidcancerforums.org and sign up with one click through Facebook. and Truly that epic. The, truly epic. Bracket, epic, bracket. Epic. Caplock, Epic. <laughs> and that.
3: All right.
5: Your stupid cancer news. All right. I'm stoked for this show. Me too. All right. We are going to be joined tonight by two extraordinary ladies making their, I think it's their three-peat or quad-peat, if that's a word I can make up. We can't up. get rid of them. You can't. We, no, we, maybe we can get rid of Stacey, but we can't get rid of Elise. Okay. <laughs> uh, Stacey Lewis is the chief programming officer and deputy chief executive at the Young Survival Coalition. For seven years, she's been doing her best to meet the needs of of Young Women with Breast Cancer, and Elise Spatz-Kaplan joined Living Beyond Breast Cancer in 2000. In her current role as Director of Programs and Partnerships, she oversees their educational and support services. Please welcome back to the Stupid Cancer Show, Elise Kaplan and Stacey Lewis. Ladies.
2: Welcome. Oh, thank you so much, Matt. you. Never get rid of me, but I know you love me dearly. <laughs>
5: oh, you, you're you. I have I have profound respect for because you once told me off. So,
2: <laughs> oh, and, that sounds
4: just like Stacy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Matthew. It's good to be with you, and I have no problem cutting Stacy off because we do it all the time. Uh, good,
5: good, good. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I'm. We're excited. We're back. It's it's C4W time again coming up this weekend. Big right. big, big gulp in the throat. As we all know, what it's like to prepare for a giant epic
4: conference—that's huh. um, for sure.
5: So, uh, for our listeners out there, let's just go over the history of what the or, what the, the conference is, and we can discuss how your two amazing groups came together 14 years ago, I believe. Uh, 13. 13 years ago. Oh, sorry, I won't press my luck. Uh, to <laughs> to uh, to to bring this to the community. Let's uh, start with Elise.
4: Okay. Um, Thanks again, Matthew, on a serious note. It's always um, a delight for Living Beyond Breast Cancer to be invited to the Stupid Cancer Show. It's always fun to work with you. we never know what to expect. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but to answer your question, c for yw is the annual conference for young women affected by breast cancer, um, hosted, as you mentioned, by Living Beyond Breast Cancer and Young Survival Coalition. Um, and this will be our 13th annual program. And we're very excited um, to present a conference exclusively designed to meet the very unique needs of younger women diagnosed with breast cancer and their families, supporters, and their loved ones. Um, as you mentioned, the 13th Annual Conference will be held this coming weekend, February 22nd to 24th, at the Hyatt Regency Bellevue, right outside of Seattle on the east side.
5: And, uh, Stacy, you guys play a part in this too clearly.
2: Yeah, just a wee bit. Um, uh-huh. It certainly has been a wonderful and longstanding partnership that Young Survival Coalition has had with Living Beyond Breast Cancer, and I think as you know, two organizations really working hard all year long to bring this meeting uh, to the young women we serve. I think we're really excited that we're going to be heading west. Uh, young women heading west and so um, we know that the program uh, at least we have worked hard on it and really do believe that we'll be meeting some unique needs as well as providing plenty of time for uh, networking for young women, many whom uh, have never met another young woman diagnosed with breast cancer to actually meet. Uh, some of their peers and begin to uh, share their lives in different ways. So we're really looking forward to um, a great program. Am I gonna, Are we going to see you there, Matt?
5: I will not be there, but you will enjoy all the benefits of having six-foot-tall Ginger Kenny there.
2: <laughs> Break of heartbreak, but we do love Kenny, too.
5: I'm looking forward That's to right. making the pilgrimage to Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you
2: go. There you Kenny's going to be
5: throwing salmon in the market at other people. Yeah. <laughs> so what inspired Seattle.
2: Well, uh, it's Stacy, and, you know, we, uh, as as organizations, you know, we have constituents across the country and internationally. And uh, for many of those who have attended our conferences over the years, in particular those on the West Coast, have often had to travel uh, East and, and sometime a little Southwest. Um, but, you know, often saying, you know, there are many more young women on the West Coast that are just not able to attend the meeting. Uh, it's a great place to be, and we should give it a try. And although we've worked on it uh, a number of years, it is the first year that we've actually been able to get uh, as far west as we are. I think the, the second furthest has been Denver. Sound about right, Elise?
4: I I I think you're right, Stacy, and I think it has definitely been an interest in every single year we have always explored during our site selection process um points further west. But as you might know, Matt, from your own conference, um the costs on the West Coast tend to be higher and um Living Beyond Breast Cancer and Young Survival Coalition do work hard year round to raise the needed funds to host a conference of this size and caliber, and also to be able to offer travel grants and registration fee waivers to a pretty significant percentage of um, recipients. And I do want to acknowledge that Susan G. Komen for the Cure has provided um, generous support for our travel grants and fee waivers, which enable us to build the conference participants.
5: And that's always been a fascinating part of the conference to me—the dichotomy of needing such an important, you know, annual event to bring together so many hundreds of people, but the irony being that they can't afford to go, and that yeah. you, you kind of have to build this sort of financial reimbursement infrastructure to even make it successful, which just adds that much more complexity to, to the machine. Correct.
4: Oh, absolutely. And Stacy, feel free to jump in. I mean, I, I, Stacy and I could both reference some of the stories that we read because it is an application process, and people need to share with us um, their financial challenges and their need. And there are many very young women who are have their college career interrupted by cancer, um, where just paying their day-to-day bills, let alone health insurance, is a concern. Those in the midst of their career, of those who may have been laid off over the past five years when the economy turned downward, the stories that we hear are so compelling and disturbing all at the same time. So it's really incumbent on us to remove as many barriers as possible and cost is one of them.
6: This is Annie, and I am a young adult breast cancer survivor. I was diagnosed just about a year ago to the day with uh, triple negative. I wish I could attend this year, but because of my day job, I unfortunately will not be able to attend. But hopefully, you know, I'll get connected with you guys again soon. Um, so i had a couple of questions but what kind of programming do you guys offer for, uh, you know, young breast cancer survivors that they can look forward to at the conference? Lots of vibrators.
5: <laughs>
4: Yes, you can find them in the exhibit hall most of the time.
2: Absolutely. I mean, and sex and intimacy is important uh, to everyone, and, you know, the impacts of treatment are something that is relevant to the young women that attend our program. So we do offer workshops on sex and intimacy, as well as workshops that are going to be more uh, disease-specific. So more, you know, there are going to be workshops on triple negative, sometime on ductal carceral um, in situ. I mean, you know, we We really are looking to hit the gamut. There are a number of workshops for uh young women with metastatic breast cancer, as well as this year we have extended um our men's track so there will be a I couple saw of that, just shops for, men. for men and one for couples
5: I like you yeah know, this so
4: this will be the first time we're offering one for couples, which will be um nice to see. Um, how that's um, taken advantage of um, to help with communication skills and the challenges um, that cancer faces. And, Annie, I do want to do a shout-out to you because I also was a young adult breast cancer survivor. I was diagnosed with breast cancer myself nearly 22 years ago. So I do recall sort of where you are in your own experience being one year out and um... and how that may feel so c4yw is just for you and hopefully in twenty fourteen you'll be able to make it to our program
5: but it raises another issue that we face with our conference too Mm -hmm. is that young adults are upwardly mobile they're trying to live their lives they may see so much value in attending this but they just can't find the time as well plus the whole parenting and childhood thing we get all these right love to Mm -hmm. be there but i can't afford or find a babysitter you know it just speaks to the 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 ironic dichotomy of the need for this conference but the challenge to make it successful.
2: It is a challenge Matt and I think that you know the two organizations over the years have have acknowledged that challenge recognized that challenge and one of the things we try to do um, as, as you're so on the cutting edge of technology is at least ensure that some of the more relevant content is positioned um, online as audio files so that even if you're unable to attend and get the full uh, atmosphere um, that you can gain some of the education um, that that we've offered at the event.
5: Right. And just the, the topics every year are, are so, well, topical, but they're so relevant. You're doing a lesbian workshop this year, clinical trials. You're doing nutrition workshops, and you're doing in the workforce. By the way, all your speakers are like have been guests on the show. We live in such a small, incubated little universe. It's amazing. And, uh, you know, you're doing a session, uh, you know, like I said, breast cancer-specific sessions on, like, fertility and pregnancy and metastatic breast cancer, body image and intimacy. But you're also tapping into like lifestyle issues, too. You know, how do you make sense of your madness? Like, you have a session, I want you to talk about the creating your legacy session mm-hmm. sparked my interest so much.
4: Um, well, I'm happy to comment on that one specifically, Matt, because it's something that's really near and dear to my own heart, and I'm sure Stacy and everybody else's. But when we started to track the sessions over the years, uh, we make sure that there are sessions relevant to women who are newly diagnosed with breast cancer, those nearing the end of treatment, long-term survivors, and as Stacy said earlier, specific populations, metastatic, triple-negative, inflammatory, etc., and as such, when we started to expand our track for women with metastatic breast cancer, we always have sessions that are medical updates and psychosocial or quality of life updates, and over the years on evaluations, which we do um, evaluate all of our programs. And it's really the comments that we receive that helps us build the agenda for the following year. And in the past, you know, talking about the hard stuff, creating your legacy. What about women who are thinking about end of life? We wanted an empowering type of workshop that gives them the tools or the skills or the language to be talking about these things while they're still here. Um, and and it's very important to your point before. A lot of women have young families um, or family members with which they want to have meaningful conversations. So these sessions on creating your legacy are really, having moderated them in the past, um, are really something that leaves our participants with something very useful they can take home. And what are some of the really what are some of the
6: most in demand popular? programs you guys have at the conference, one of the things I saw that I saw interesting was Zumba. I would probably fall and knock someone over after I tripped on my own feet. But what are, what's some of the programming for, you know, especially for young women, which you guys find high in demand?
2: I um, I would say uh, the sex and intimacy. Reconstruction is um, always in demand, as well as opportunity to, to really ask some deep Questions um, mm-hmm. about the various procedures that are available. Um, I think those in the psychosocial realm, dealing with um, fear of recurrence, mm-hmm. uh, there are some workshops that we end up repeating twice throughout the weekend um, because they are in some in such high demand. And those are just a few of them.
6: Do you find that a lot? Of, do you have more men signing up this year? I notice that you do have quite a few workshops for men. Uh, do you find you have a lot of men signing up this year?
2: I I don't think Elise, I don't know if you noticed more men. I didn't notice more men. We usually have a
4: I, I I didn't notice more men. I think it's safe to say that year after year we do see a fair amount of couples coming because in all of our messaging we're very inclusive and we're encouraging women to bring their supporters, their loved ones, their partners, et cetera. So it's very welcoming. Um, two men, whether it's a male partner, whether it's a brother, you know, it's different relationships because of the age of the women who are actually attending the program.
5: What would you guys say the biggest takeaway people get when you measure your outcomes? Uh, I, we, I'm, we're struggling for that now. Like, what did you learn? And it's it's always that balance between you want it to be social and fun where they meet each other and it's kind of like this homecoming because we all know each other on Facebook and now we're in a place in the real world with pulses and want to make sure that you can actually know that what you're doing makes that much of a difference when they leave and go home.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, I would just add, and um, I'd love Stacy to comment too, what pops to the top of my mind is when we do read the evaluation forms, there is a recurrent theme of women thanking us for having such a tailored, relevant program and that they have now developed a whole list of questions to take back to their health care team um, to help them make important decisions moving forward, whether it's with treatment whether they're in recovery or whether they're many years later and are dealing with issues affecting bone health, menopause, etc., um, Women definitely tell us they're equipped now with a greater depth of information that is more specific to their phase of life and their age of diagnosis.
2: Enjoy. I would just add that I think yes. for some, you know, it really is that opportunity. To your point, Matt, you know, we're all connected to social media in many different uh, forms and platforms, but that opportunity to actually meet someone face-to-face uh, for many is priceless, and that is often articulated in the evaluations as well.
4: Yeah, I definitely agree. And on that, we do offer some meet-up opportunities um, And we have identified areas where people with either specific diagnoses or different geographic regions of the country so that we can help facilitate the networking that's meaningful for each participant. So you're dispelling that isolation and aloneness that young women often tell us that they feel, where they know that they're in a sisterhood of a much larger group of women and they aren't so alone. Yeah, I noticed on the there was, I think it was hula
6: or, oh, no, belly dancing, belly dancing, another activity. <laughs> that's new at, this year. Yeah, <laughs> that definitely sounds interesting, another opportunity where I would have to probably embarrass myself. And Matthew will get to see my uh, awful dance moves in Vegas this year. But,
2: but what about,
6: what I, do you guys talk a lot, you know, I know some of the interesting topics for people is like clinical trials. And what do you tell people? Because I'm sure some people there, you know, whether... They are in treatment or just out of treatment or have metastatic disease. You know, what kind of a, do you guys give ad, uh, medical advice and then just advise them to go back to their doctors? How do you approach that? Because I know that is such a sensitive issue that you do have to, you know, kind of toe the line of what kind of medical advice you do give people. I think well,
2: i, was, I go ahead, go ahead, Stacey. I was just going to say, for the most part, when you're talking specifically about clinical trials, it really is um, a workshop where we're trying to impart part, understanding um, so that the attendees really begin to understand what is a clinical trial, what are the phases of a clinical trial, how do clinical trials work, how are they funded, um, to really, you know, and what questions do you want to begin to ask to identify if a clinical trial is right for you. So, with that workshop in particular, the aim is not to uh, point women in a specific direction, but to really equip them with the information and knowledge that they need to make that next decision.
6: And what about, you know, meals and, you know, I noticed one about nutrition. Do you guys do special meals for people where you're giving lectures and workshops and, you know, things like that? Do you, do you tailor your meals to the lifestyle they're supposed to live post-treatment and even in treatment?
4: We try very very hard, <laughs> but... Um, it's very costly to have the most nutritious meal possible, but we're very cognizant of trying to offer healthier meal choices throughout
2: the conference weekend. And what, Would you agree, Stace? Absolutely. We, no, we work really hard to uh, to provide a variety so that, you know, you're not eating oatmeal for three uh, meals a day, um, but as well as to ensure that it's going to be healthy. And
4: even some gluten free meals available this year, or gluten free snacks. So we, we, we definitely, and are offering more vegetarian type choices.
5: Huh? I remember when we went to this is this is not a slight against them, but I attended the uh, 2008 Livestrong um, uh, Summit. No, I'm sorry, 2010 Livestrong Summit, and they served like the most deep fried, <laughs> like. Unhealthy, like delicious, amazing Austin Austin. food. I know, I know. You can't like try to you can't try to be healthy in Austin, but it was just like I remember. I didn't care personally, but there was so much uh, like uh, feedback, negative feedback. Like, how dare a cancer conference serve such unhealthy food? And you know, now that I'm you know like wizened and bald and seasoned from hosting conferences, I know that you know the healthier the food, it's like twenty times more expensive too. Right. Yeah. So, and you try to do your best. You really just try. Um, but I do want to go back to one thing that Annie mentioned before, which is that like like when we give medical advice or when you put patients in an opportunity to get other opinions that are clinical in nature, then they go back to their doctor and they doctor's like, "Who the hell told you that? Uh-huh. You know? They're, they're, do you have a relationship with hospitals in a way that they're familiar with this conference and that it, it's almost like a, a trusted source?
2: Well, I
4: think, you know, I'd love, Stacy to add to this, but both Living Beyond Breast Cancer and Young Survival Coalition have pretty extensive medical advisory boards. And we have physicians and psychosocial experts from different healthcare systems across the country. And as such, there is a lot of familiarity with one or both organizations, and I think those hospital systems, you know, trust us. Um, but that said... We don't have, at, at LBBC anyway, any, you know, deep-rooted relationship with a particular hospital system because that wouldn't go over well either. So I think the more our brand is out there and the more women are coming, If as you've looked at the faculty that are serving on this year's conference, they are some of the most highly respected nationally and even internationally renowned experts. And I think that really helps to underscore the credibility of this program. And all we can do is arm women with information to take back to their team for them to discuss and make some, you know, informed decisions with their doctor that knows their personal circumstances. We're very, very clear at the conference that, you know, the the, the speakers cannot answer specific individual questions. Um, But it can help women to formulate the questions to take back to their care team.
3: That's a good point, and this is Kenny. How do, uh, how do I, as an exhibitor, better serve the attendees of the conference? What do you hope that the attendees will get out of their interactions with the, exhib- the exhibitor uh, organizations and individuals that show up?
2: So, Kenny, it really depends on the type of organization, and I think that uh, one of the reasons, or at least we would hope, that one of the reasons that you guys continue to come back is because you do gain both um, more relationships, you know, great networking, great PR, so to speak, public face for your organization, um, and a great opportunity to interact with people that you're also looking to serve. So whether, you know, whether selling T-shirts or offering meetups or um, you know, really providing some detailed medical information, the reality is, is that we want to ensure that those that attend the conference you know, have an opportunity to interact with organizations, entities, people that they may not have had that opportunity to do so before. So for some coming to this year's conference, this will be their first time uh, hearing about stupid cancer.
3: Well, you'll have to just come by booth number two hundred and say hello.
2: <laughs> <Absolutely>. no,
4: no <laughs> doubt, no <laughs> doubt, people will be flocking to your exhibit. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> <Anna.
6: laughs> to look for the young redheaded man, over six feet tall. I so one of my questions I was wondering is what stage do you find most women who sign up? Are they you know in still in treatment? Are they post treatment? Are they five years out? what's the most popular kind of breast cancer demographic who comes to the conference?
4: Is that a trick question because...
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, I think so. (laughs) The
4: the answer to that is, um, and it's interesting you ask that, Annie, because in the opening remarks, we typically ask um, the participants to identify if they're comfortable to raise their hand, and we sort of do a, a roll call, so to speak, and ask women to raise their hand if they were diagnosed less than a year ago or, you know, one to three years ago, you know, et cetera, and on and on. And clearly um, women diagnosed, you know, less than two years ago are a very large part of our audience. But right on up to midterm, long-term survivors, they they come back to our program. So my experience over the 13 years, because I've been there since the first year, is that we do see women across the the lifespan and across their own survivorship experience feeling that the program is relevant or meets some of their needs. That said, um, the newly diagnosed woman definitely represents a larger percentage of attendees, which is, you know, when she's hungry for information and has probably a few more questions.
5: At least I know that you were diagnosed uh, three thousand years ago with me in the Stone Age, but, but in theory, we're, we're, you're an alumni of the young adult cancer world, and I was hoping you could opine, if I can use an SAT word, on on the such a, the extraordinary difference in culture, community, connectivity that exists for people like us than did you know in the 80s and 90s.
4: Oh, you save that for the last minute of the show?
5: Yeah, you have, you have 30 seconds. Go.
4: Okay. <laughs> um, you know, it's a great question, Matt, on a serious note. Um, truly, 1991, it was a different era. Um, there's been a huge paradigm shift. And I think what, in my 30 seconds, what's most striking to me. I'm kidding. You me, have about five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> what's striking to me off the top of my head is that, In 1991, I finished treatment and was told, go have a nice quality of life. You're done. But no one could tell me what quality of life meant. It was a phrase. I didn't get it. Um, I had a 2-year-old, a 5-year-old, and an 8-year-old. What was I supposed to do? Um, Today, moving forward, we can define quality of life. We know what it is. And we know that it means different things for every individual who's been touched with, you know, a diagnosis of cancer. And so there's much more of a conversation and dialogue between doctor and patient today as it relates to making treatment decisions or how to manage side effects, how to prevent side effects, than in the Stone Ages when you and I were diagnosed. And basically, at least if you were young and had breast cancer, there were two chemotherapy cocktails. If you were node negative, you got CMF. If you were node positive, you got AC, and that's typically how it went. Um, Of course, hormone receptor positive were offered hormonal therapy, but today it's different. There are more options. There's more of a dialogue, and quality of life does take center stage for many people, and you're looking at career, lifestyle, life events, and making treatment decisions, um, and other choices based on that. It's very collaborative today. When I was That's looking at your story, sorry, I mean to cut you off. When I was looking at your story,
6: I saw what you, you were diagnosed, and I did um, ACT. I actually didn't do Taxol because I was anaphylactic allergic. I won the award for having the worst allergic reaction in four and a half years at my uh. oncologist, so I did a Broxane. But <laughs> I feel for you that you had to do AC. Did you do AC? I did AC,
4: Without and I have to say, Zofran had just been FDA approved, okay. so it was the first anti-nausea medicine that started to change the landscape on how chemotherapy right. was experienced by all people. Um, and it wasn't even in tablet form; it was just an in intravenous, you know, formulation yep. that I got the day of treatment. So that was uh, all we, you had. That was it. And I feel for you. Was, and we move forward. Um, so the good news is, is here it is nearly 22 years later, and we've made some great strides um, in terms of quality of life specifically. We, there are more treatments available. There is more attention to preventing or alleviating side effects. Um, but we do have far further to go, as we all know. Right, and I was telling Matthew before the show, it's pretty amazing that triple
6: negative breast cancer only had a name, I think, less than 10 years ago. That's right. And, yeah, and, and
4: and I am probably a triple negative diagnosis, but I'll never know that because HER2 had not been identified in 1991, right. so it couldn't be tested, but I was ER and PR negative and yeah. young.
6: That's, so, that's, that's one of the things my doctor always reminds me of whenever I freak out about having been diagnosed with triple negative. She's like, people had triple negative for, like, 50 years, and they're all totally fine now. It's just we didn't did even know what it is. It was, and... They had significantly less treatment. So, congratulations on being a health, healthy <laughs> alumni.
4: An alumni. I like that. Survive. Not just of the universities where yes. I attended. Well,
6: people always
5: say, Matt, you're going to be 40 next year. What are you going to do? And I was like, well, I'm going to graft myself as an alumni. So, there's my <laughs> loophole. There you go. So let's take the next two minutes. We'll close out the show. Stacey, um, you've been with YSC for seven years. I've been, I realized that I was volunteering for YSC back in 2002. So I've been there indirectly volunteering for God knows how long, uh, 10 years and so. Um, there's been so much change in the young adult breast cancer world, and YSC and LBBC have been at the forefront of it. But I, I would love you to just comment on the progress that you've seen uh, infrastructurally and in the services that you guys do for the young adults. Your forums, for example, just relaunched into huge acclaim.
2: Thanks, Matt. Um, You're right. It is a huge acclaim. We're really excited about the newly launched uh, community boards. Um, As you know, uh, serving the same population, that uh, it is really a way that young women connected. uh, and, And earlier in the organization, when the bulletin boards first launched, that was really all that young women young women had and um, so going through a couple of platform transitions here we are in twenty thirteen really excited um, to be able to offer an even better platform and one that seems to be uh, going extremely well many of our uh, returning constituents as well as new uh, newly diagnosed women are really enjoying the opportunity to talk to other young women, regardless of the time of day or night, uh, wherever they are, uh, really about some very specific issues to them. I think one of the other things that has changed over the years is that, you know, as an organization, to your point, Matt, and it was interesting a point that you shared with me and kind of raised my my awareness to the fact that you know when Young Survival Coalition started we were the first young adult um, oncology focused organization and I think what we've seen since then is we've been able to grow as an organization not only externally but really internally and really begin to then develop more targeted resources for our constituents So, you know, starting with a great program like the Bulletin Boards, which served many, um, you know, to now be able to offer newly diagnosed resource kits and post-treatment resources and metastatic resources to really begin to deep dive, you know, on the needs that our constituents have and develop programs and resources that are most appropriate. And I think that that is one of the most um, significant, impactful uh, changes that we've that we've been able to make and um, really one of the reasons why I've just been so honored to work for the organization over these years.
5: And you now you are a deputy chief executive, so you must be doing something right. Jen's a, a wonderful person.
2: I agree with you. She is indeed a wonderful person and a great leader. Um, the organization, uh, from board through staff uh, and many volunteers, have been uh, really glad uh, that she's come on board. Uh, she's really doing a great job.
5: Well, I've enjoyed working with you guys. We've enjoyed working with C4W for many, many years now, and here's to the future. Uh, thank you so much. Good luck. Thank break a you. leg, break both legs, break every limb you have, and have a <laughs> wonderful time in Seattle. We hope it's a phenomenal success. Kenny will report back on, on his success based on how much alcohol he drinks.
2: All right, oh, well, we look, <laughs> can't thank you enough for having us both. All right.
5: Elise Kaplan, Absolutely, Lewis. thank
2: you.
5: All right, the Young thank Survival Coalition, you. Living Around Breast Cancer present the C4W Annual Conference for Young Women with Breast Cancer this weekend at the Hyatt Regency in, uh, no, at the, uh, I'm reading the 20, or you made me the wrong thing, um, in Seattle,
6: what's the hotel? Uh, it just is right. Bellevue.
5: The Bellevue Hotel in Seattle? It's
6: Bellevue, Washington.
5: Okay. Well, there you go. Thank you, ladies. Thank, Thank you. Pat. Okay, Take
2: bye-bye.
5: Take care, everybody. <laughs> uh, no, the the bio is on the C4W 2012 with, uh, template. Letterhead. Uh-huh. Sorry, I read the wrong one. Yeah, Seattle. So, Kenny, you looking forward to heading out there? I am looking forward to be back in Seattle, yes. That's right. You were just there, weren't you? No, I was in San Diego. What do you mean back in Seattle then?
3: When were you there? I've been to Seattle in the past, and I'm looking forward to going to Starbucks again.
5: (laughs) I do want you to throw some salmon at somebody. I will. In the fish market.
6: Is that the fish? Is that the big fish? Those are salmon?
5: Yeah. Is that Alaskan something? Sockeye salmon. That's what it is. Sockeye salmon. You literally—they I'll oh, carry one on and see how
6: bring uh, how it fares. Buy
5: a chair, buy a seat for it. Exactly with the, with the seat belt and yep. everything. Yeah.
6: yeah, I have been. I was, I was just young. I didn't throw. I didn't throw anything.
5: Seattle's great. I lo- it's a great town. Yeah, it is. Well, the part that confuses me—it it looks a little like uh, like it's almost like Gotham City-ish from the movies, from the Nolan movies. It has you know, it's got the the, the two stadiums right leading up to it, and the city's like up on this big hill.
3: Yes, and there's
5: lots of lakes and islands. And that and needle thing. That needle thing. Space yeah. needle. Okay.
3: And the uh, the the highway that's like dominoes stacked on top of each other. Exactly. Exactly. Yep.
5: Yep. Yep. All right. Well, I'm I'm happy with tonight's show. It was great. We love to see w everything. Good, good stuff. Good Total, stuff.
6: I I really wish I was able to go this year, but no. Yeah, but it raises the point. Yeah.
5: Like like the challenges we're trying to help young young adults with mm-hmm. cancer, and they love they would be there in a heartbeat if they could. But it's not even as much that they're
6: sick. It's
3: right. that
5: they're busy because we're young
6: yeah. adults. Yeah, it's when yeah. you when you take off five months from work to right. not die <laughs> right. from cancer. Yeah, you you know you just want to try and be at work as much as you can. Right. You also when you're you know only being a year out, I also want maybe try to take a right. vacay that has nothing to do with cancer. Right. Maybe get I, I hate to say get a tan because then that's <laughs> more cancer. But, yeah. This
5: brought to you by Coppertone.
6: Yeah, so, yeah, with my STF 100. <laughs> but, yeah, I also, you know, want to make up for the past year where I couldn't travel and go see family and go see friends. So, you know, we'll see what happens in the future. But, yeah, but yeah, it sounds like a great event. I am I know a, I've heard of a lot of people who are attending, and I'm sure it's going to be an amazing Emily event. Emily Cousins
5: is speaking, Kenny. That's awesome. Yeah, you're going to see her speak. She's wonderful. She's their featured survivor. For the opening ceremony. And she's a local. She lives out there. Well, yeah, very they, cool. Saves on travel. Yes. Indeed. All right. Well, that is our show. It's time for our closing sequence.
3: Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets.
5: You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh,
6: my
3: You've done it again.
2: That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer.
3: Okay, folks, that's our show number two fifty-five. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at stupid cancer.
5: Special thanks to our Institute of Guest Matt Beckett, Lauren McCann on the couch, and our guests Jeff, Tom Chuck, Stacy Lewis, and Elise Kaplan.
6: And joining us on next week's show, celebrity guest co-host Andrew Jenks. He is the creator, director, and executive producer of MTV's World of Jenks. He joins us as we tackle the realities of young adult cancer. How it sucks and how you can what you can do to make a difference. And we're thrilled to welcome guests Tomber Lane, professional coach, founder of Well Beyond Ordinary, and Nico Juber, author of Tend to Thrive, founder of Thrive Survive, plus the insanely inspirational Survivors, Chrissy Norwood and Sephora Razor in Dueling Survivor Spotlights.
5: Okay, folks, if you missed any of our past shows, download them all for free on iTunes at itunes.stupidcancer.org. Remember, folks, it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the Chemo Deck on behalf of Kenny Kane, Andy Goodman, myself, and our whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show. Have a great week, and we'll see you back here next Monday live at 8 p.m. Good night.
2: Good
6: night. Good night.